And uh, welcome, everybody, to Alchemy Answers, episode 78. As you guys can clearly see, I'm joined by none other than Capitalist himself. Uh, you might know who he is. He's been at one or two events that you might have seen. Um, a very good Dota player in his own right, and also a podcaster these days. Uh, I believe you have a show called The Side Pull Podcast that you do with uh, Leaf Eater and plenty of like Dota and esports personalities like Kyle and... Charlie Yang and Blitz and, and you know the regular cast, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we've had some, uh, we've had some pretty special guests. We actually had uh, Sir Action Slacks on recently, Ziori and Arteezy. Oh, nice. That was that was the big name that we got for that. <sighs> actually, I think I listened to at least part of that one. That was like you did it while you were at an event, right, with Arteezy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, me, Blitz, and Arteezy. And uh, I'm just lucky that uh, it ended up being all right because they just kind of showed up at my door. So Nice. <laughs> Spontaneity is usually the best for those kind of things. Uh, so Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, we, uh, we're just going to take some questions and uh, I'll just kind of throw them to you first and then maybe throw a few of my thoughts in. But you're, you're my expert this week. Um, you are you playing a lot of Dota these days with the quarantine going on? Or are you you branching out and doing other stuff? You know, you're catching me right as I'm getting back into Dota. Nice. Uh, I had one of the longest self-imposed breaks from uh, Dota in in a long time. I haven't really played uh, a ton in the last uh, week and a half or so, and then before that, I had ESL for three weeks straight. So. Okay. I've been a little bit out of the game, but uh, I've decided to uh, start grinding it up again, and uh, that started off today four and one. So good, good start, good Beautiful. start to the grind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know that one and four is coming around the corner, but at least you're in a good mood today, right? So that's good. Yeah, true, true, true. Right on. So um, the first question that we have is from Catanuno, and he asks. Oh, and this is uh, some offline questions for you. So, perfect. What would you consider to be the essential hero pool for an offlaner? He's been trying out Mars, but used to play a lot of Clockwork offlane, Death Prophet mid back in the day, and also has a soft spot for Axe um, and Centaur. But basically, he's wondering, like, okay. what heroes would be good kind of, like, throughout the metas. They just tend to always crop up, regardless of how the patches change. Uh, Yeah, I think that... Um... When, when it comes to learning any position, there are a certain core set of heroes that will kind of always be uh, somewhat meta, will always kind of be viable, and uh, offlane is no different. So I think for offlane, I would say like Centaur, uh, Abaddon, uh, Batrider, those are kind of like my go-to um, like quintessential offlaners because they, they all represent a different thing. Uh, Batrider is much more like damage heavy and single target initiation, but also like um, the important thing about Batrider is really being able to press your lane advantage when you have it. Um, whereas Abaddon is very much like teamfight oriented. So when I heard he used to play Death Prophet mid, it sounded like he was, uh, he really liked either taking objectives or going for initiation. So I think mm -hmm. Abaddon would be kind of up, uh, up his alley because that is a very objective style uh, offlaner. And then uh, what was the other one that I said? Did I say Earthshaker? Um, 
you said yeah, about a, a, basically yeah. any of the centers like centaur right, or shaker centaur, any yeah. of those like really big team fight uh sort of tank slash uh initiators which is just uh, a bit different play style than say batrider right um so yeah those those are kind of like my go to three um but then every meta is different so i think if people are really learning a role they should just pick up the heroes that are like best in the current meta uh, and just kind of like pick up those three or four and play them a lot. Sure. And then as the meta changes, then your hero pool is also going to change, and slowly but surely you will very naturally build up a large pool. Yeah, that's the cool thing, and, and kind of like the hard thing about Dota, right, is like it's it's almost just like a burden of knowledge that you have to acquire through just simply like experiencing the game for a long period of time. Because um, you look at somebody like you know puppy it's not like he's grinding 15 pubs a day to be good at all the heroes he just played them like 400 times competitively six years ago and they're still or they're like back in the meta now as it cycles around to new stuff so it doesn't take too long to pick up something like that once you've played it that many times before yeah dota goes through like this beautiful cycle where it just uh it, it always keeps going around and around. Whatever heroes become popular, naturally there are going to be some counterpicks that end up rising up. And then because of those counterpicks, there's going to be other counterpicks to the counterpicks and so on and so forth. And so uh, because it is so complex, I would say just just focus on a small uh, set of heroes. And those are kind of my, like my core uh, go-to three positions right now. Um, but I would say, uh, what's really meta? I feel like Mars is less yeah. viable now. Um, Beast is probably like the big one right now. Even after the nerf, still pretty strong. And yeah, Batrider is is definitely still up there as well. Um, yeah, and it wouldn't hurt to learn Nature's Prophet right now. That's true. Uh, if somebody takes your lane, <laughs> then uh, you know. If somebody griefs you, then you could play support Nature's Prophet. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of like the the be all end all of like if if you're in a role that you don't necessarily want to play just pick np and you're probably going to be fine because the yeah. hero just can wear so many hats in a game of dota so that's cool yeah. uh yeah i would tend to agree i mean i i really like that you pointed out bat i think that bat is just one of those heroes that like in perpetuity until they like completely rework it will always be viable like you see it crop up even if it's not picked for all of ti like grand finals there's the bat rider over and over and over yeah, same same goes with uh, Earthshaker. Yep. I always feel like, yeah, that, that hero might be like more popular as a forward position right now, but uh, it's still so, like, it'll always pop up because its core tool set is too strong. It's too too viable that uh, it'll <laughs> always be a potential pick. Yeah, yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, all right, moving on to Uga Chaka's question, which is he's reading a study that EA, I assume he means Electronic Arts, did a while ago about matchmaking, and it turns out that completely fair matchmaking is actually worse for player retention than if the matchmaking is biased. Uh, in essence, the algorithm they developed saves players who are likely to rage quit after a loss streak and pits players with win streaks against harder opponents who are on loss streaks. What this means is that assuming that Valve uses this type of matchmaking or some variant of it, the matchmaking can be exploited. I found that it's much quicker to climb MMR if you win three matches, throw the next match, get three more wins, and repeat to prevent a win streak building up. If you compare this to playing to win every match, when you eventually get a win streak and get put up against harder opponents, you will lose and run the risk of getting tilted into more losses. Of course, this is all based on speculation and personal experience, but it would be interesting to hear your thoughts. Hopefully this can help somebody climb MMR. 
So we were kind of just joking about that earlier on. But it does kind of follow that cycle, I've noticed, that, like, inevitably, and it's not necessarily because of some MMR bias, but it's just, like, it's hard to maintain continual focus all the time to be at the top of your game, which is what it takes to climb MMR, because the matches do get progressively harder. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's a lot to be said about not grinding too long when it comes to playing Dota. Um, I don't really follow that rule because I'm not really trying to get to a high number. Most of the time, I'm just playing just to play nowadays. Um, but uh, I do think there is something to be said about limiting yourself only to like three or four games um, where maybe you have a warm-up game and then you play three games after that where you're really focused. Uh, right. You're you're in a good mood for communicating and getting along with your team. You're not going to get tilted and you're going to be focused on the game. Um, Cause Dota does take a lot of focus. Uh, it's why like whenever I talk to, to people who stream and uh, stream Dota, they always say that like uh, when they play off stream, it always goes so much better Yeah, um, because it's hard. And that's why like when I stream, for example, like I can hardly pay attention to the chat at all because I'm not that good of a player, so I kind of need all the focus I can get. <laughs> I hear that, dude. I, I absolutely um, hear that. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I highly doubt Valve uh, has something like that for their matchmaking system. I could be wrong, but everything that I've kind of heard, um, I, I highly doubt they have something like that. Um, but I do know 100% uh they have something that goes exactly against that which is they um they have the anti-smurf um thing going on right now right. where if you win a certain uh amount of games like you get a streak of like eight nine or ten in your mmr climb it, it will register you as a smurf right if you go on a crazy long streak and you'll start gaining higher and higher amounts of mmr uh blitz recently went on a streak like that and I think he won like 15 games in a row or something. And he ended up climbing up like an absurd amount of MMR. He's actually higher than me now uh, just because of that. He was winning like 90 MMR a game or something like that. Is this even like uh, on older accounts? Is this like his original account or is it on a newer one? Because I... No, it's on, it's on his, his uh, original account. Or at least oh, the wow. account that he usually plays on. Huh. Yeah. Blitz, uh, Blitz has some extreme highs and lows. Uh, so he was he was very far down there in MMR recently. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I've always kind of thought of that, that that was something they probably should implement in terms of just like, it feels like it takes forever to go from one place in MMR to another place in MMR, even if you are like a better player than the bracket that you're in, just because Dota by nature is a game that you're never going to win 100% of your games. Like, even if you're, mm -hmm. you know, 5,000 MMR above where you're playing, chances are somebody's going to throw, you know, like one of your teammates will just pick some unbelievably terrible hero. Uh, there's there's always something that's going to stop that 100% win rate. And so I've, I've just kind of thought that, especially without Decay, it seems like if you are way better than the people you're playing against, you probably should move past that bracket pretty quickly. And that's why I've always kind of liked the recalibration periods because it feels like it, it moves in that direction. Um, albeit mm -hmm. like kind of randomly to some extent as well. Yeah. I always kind of like the recalibration. I like the idea of recalibration Yeah, uh, just because there's too many pro players who end up like uh, getting a bunch of Smurfs because at some point in time they cap out and it's too hard to find games. And then, uh, and then also because it hurts people who buy accounts and stuff like that. And I, and I also like the, like, you have to really stay up to date in Dota. If I don't play Dota for, like, a week, I can feel it. I played yeah, my... Yeah, seriously. Like, 
Uh, I, I played that uh, the first game I played today. Like uh, we won our laning phase, I remember. But then I kind of threw it, and then I just was missing a lot of spells on Mars and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> there was even a moment to because of the mana nerf. I had the feeling I felt. I looked at my mana pool and I felt like it was fine to use an arena spear. And then I realized I didn't have enough mana for the spear after the arena. Oh, that no. was a real embarrassing one. <laughs> Fight me! Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was real bad. Yeah, all those little kind of instinctual things that make you a much better Dota player than just the average person um, coming into the game for the first time or whatever. Like, it's just muscle memory essentially. Like, intuition almost is is muscle memory, and that's what really separates super good players at at the highest strengths as well. Uh, all right, moving on to the next question, we've got from Average Peen who asks. I've noticed this before when I'm on a losing streak. Oh, he's actually just responding. Never mind. To, to the last one, just corroborating gotcha, the experience. Gotcha. Um, so Track says, what's the best way to recover when my position four, I'm a position three player, has screwed up too many times in the lane, fed too much. I usually tell them to just leave and go elsewhere, but by that time, I'm not able to stand my ground against carries. I will end up either just sitting and waiting for creeps to come, or I'll try and cut the wave if the support TP'd elsewhere. So he's a position four or position three? Sorry. He's he's a three, and he's saying that his four maybe played too aggressively oh. and died a couple times. Four's ruining your lane. Yep. That's <laughs> a big thing right now. Four positions are so important to the offlaner right now. Yep. Uh, because uh, the prevalence of, like, dual lanes and uh, before, it was also because the the deny mechanic and stuff. So it was really important to have relatively equal lanes in both your side lanes. Sure. Um, so a four position could just ruin your life. So I very much identify with that. Um, so if you're a four position, um, telling him to, to leave is kind of like neither here nor there. Like sometimes, like just honestly, it might tilt them or something like that. Um, I would more, say... More often the, than not, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say uh, the biggest play for you to be able to make is, sounds like he already had it, was cutting creep waves. So um, just going back and... Um, if it's a really annoying support to cut creep waves, you may have to like loop around uh, a really long way mm. and to like cut through the enemy jungle to get near their tier two. But you just grab one or two waves uh, and like you can double the, the creep wave up if you want, if you have the time to be able to do so. Um, that's like a really efficient way to do so because you could usually. What you could do is like sometimes I'll double or triple the wave. Never more than triple, I will say. That'll, that'll take your tower <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you do that and you don't have like proper wave clearing or they really try and fight you. They see that advantage, they'll just take your tower. But um, sometimes if I if I feel like it's okay, I'll triple it and then I'll TP back to base because um, I could just run out to lane. Sure. Uh, so like if I've taken a lot of damage from a support, say I've got like a Lich or something who's very damage heavy but doesn't have the disable to stop me, like he's going to harass me nonstop and I'll just be able to get a free full heal and then run out to lane. Um, that's one of the biggest things. Uh, another one is just being recognizing your timings. So this is going to be different for every single hero, so I can't really go into it too in depth. Um, but just kind of like ask yourself like, okay, what does my hero do? Um, and when is it strongest? And if it's say like a pango, um, if it's pango, I just want to be able to hit level six and rotate. Sure. So, you know, pull creeps if you can just get level six and get the hell out of there. If you're in a bad end, well, your hero doesn't really want to rotate. 
Um, so yeah, I would say at that point in time, um, you're going to ask your support to, to leave lane, try and get solo experience. And at some point in time, what's more important is instead of you leaving lane is asking your carry, Hey, let's kill the enemy carry and take his tower. Uh, cause that's what a baton is best at. Sure. Right? He enables other people, but what he really does excellently is take towers. Um, once you've, you've taken away the enemy heroes. So, um, that that that's just kind of like a game by game sort of read and a hero by hero, but uh, always be reevaluating like what does my hero do? What is it strongest? And then try and set things up for that. Yeah, um, I think you covered like there's there's really it's it's actually pretty straightforward. Like if if the lane is too hard, you just kind of don't play the lane. Like I, I feel like a lot of people get caught into the the trap of trying to overplay a matchup that's just not winnable. And it could be because your hero matchup is bad, or it could be because you just misplayed like the first level or two. Um, or in this case, your support misplayed it. That happens very regularly in pubs. And, um, you know, in addition to, to cutting the wave and dragging it in between your towers um, or doing what you said in terms of like, just kind of leeching until you can go do other stuff that's more important. Uh, if you have wave clear, just shoving the wave into their tower and kind of using your creeps as a buffer between you and the other team and just letting that kind of almost wall um, wall off the, the carry from being able to pressure you. And then you can maybe get a pull off here and there. Um, and if, if you really want to go like next level, you could just ask your support to focus on a specific hero and just try and like harass them out of the lane. If, if your support's not doing his job, Initially, maybe you can direct him because he's probably not that bad of a player if he's the same MMR as you and, and will respond to at least like, hey, kill this lich or something like that. Yeah, I would I would add that uh, another thing I thought of is that I, I feel like a lot of people are really loath to leave their lane as cores. Um, that like there's this there's this arbitrary like, oh, I must get level seven before I possibly leave my lane. Mm -hmm. um, but if you watch some of the best safe laners and off laners, uh, both of them will leave their lane pre-level six if they have the right skill set for. So you'll see gyrocopters and and uh, and other heroes like say Juggernaut will pick up his level six and immediately go and TP to the other side of the map and invade the enemy safe lane. Uh, don't be afraid to do that with your off lane as well if you're a hero that can provide a stun uh, because. Again, it's an arbitrary timing that people say I must have my ultimate before I possibly do anything else. Uh, and because it's so arbitrary and because it's so grounded into the culture of Dota, it also means it's going to come as a huge surprise that mid laner, if an Earthshaker, Sand King or something, all of a sudden wraps on them. And they're they're also going to be tilted at that point. Totally. Why, why is the off laner in my <laughs> lane? Ping, ping, ping. You know, shit like that. So right. uh, if you are a hero that can make things happen, go make things happen in other lanes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's that's a super super next level move that you'll see like you know the mind controls and, and those types of he players make uh, when they're getting completely dominated in the lane. Um, all right, Wiggs asks. Lately, my work has been pretty slow, and I'll have hours of time to kill on my computer. I've been wasting the time reading the Dota Reddit. That is a waste of time, but it's driving me insane, <laughs> and I think making me worse at Dota overall. That's also probably pretty true. Uh, I want to use this time to help achieve my goal of getting immortal by the end of the year. Can you guys think of any techniques I can do or things I can study in my downtime at work that can help me improve my MMR without having to open the client and actually play? Uh, what do you I, do I mean, as, was... as like an analyst during your downtime in events to like study? Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to say 
if you can do this during downtime at work, because I just don't know how much focus you have, but going through beat plays is one of the best moves you can do. Um, so if you really want to get better at anything, going through your own replays is good. It's both for commentating as well as playing Dota. Uh, it's really important to go back through the work you've already done and recognize what what is getting you killed, what you're doing wrong, and where you can kind of uh, make improvements. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't really care that much about improving as a player anymore. Um, so what I do is I'm usually just watching replays of professional players. And I think the laning phase, like a lot of people know how to click buttons when they have items. They sure. know how to run around the map once they are stronger than the enemy team. So the laning phase is, the, is simultaneously the easiest and most important thing you can learn from replays. Because the laning phase is very much the same all the time, right? If you have a certain matchup that, that, that you see mind control playing against, uh, you know, like whoever, uh, and he's playing that matchup, like the same strength and weaknesses are going to be in your games as well. So I will just follow what those people do. I'll see what he does on a tight hunter against a, a certain matchup and like what is what are the items he buys how much time is he spending you know trying to cut creep waves how much time right. is he he's spending like harassing the support harassing the carry which one do you attack um all those sorts of things uh the laning phase it, like dota gets really messy in the mid game and late game and they, there's many things you can't replicate but the laning phase is the one thing you can replicate uh the one thing you can pretty much copy what the pros do and uh and to maybe to a lesser extent, but just straight up replicated in your games. Sure. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, if if you can't open the client, I mean, you could potentially watch like VODs of players that you think are good uh, and, and go through kind of the same process. It's like almost like watching a replay, except it's just their perspective. You can't really click around and, and get more information. Um, and I, I tend to like looking at just some statistics i i've been like personally tracking um a lot of games recently just because i was like i went through a period where i was just like playing whatever i normally play support i'm like mostly five five a little bit of four um but i just got really bored of supporting in pubs every single game and so i started playing everything but then i wanted to know if that was like drastically decreasing my win rate because i come from like a a baseball background. I played baseball in college and I played a lot of poker in college too. And so I really like looking at data. So I started tracking my games and I have a spreadsheet now where I've played about 250, 300 games since I started tracking it. And it's very clear support position five, 60 plus percent win rate four, 50% win rate three, 50% win rate two, 40% win rate, one, 30% win rate. And so it's like, all right, I guess I need to stop playing those other positions if I actually want to, you know, increase my MMR or just generally have a good time playing and in, in competitive. So uh, I think that yeah. even just looking at some stats like that can be really helpful. Yeah, for sure. I want to go along the, the line of stats and, and just talking about this isn't necessarily something that's, uh, I mean, you could do a little bit of it in your downtime, but it's it's actually what something I will do like as I queue up is I'll just go to Dota Buff or um, mm. one of those sites and just straight up look at the heroes that are 
uh, good in the meta right now, what heroes are being picked. Um, so for for somebody playing, it would be just like, look at what heroes are being successful in pubs. I tend to look at what's successful in tournaments because I just want to be able to like play what's currently being played. So I have some like ideas and some things to say about it. Right. Um, but but um, for somebody playing and getting more MMR and Dota, like that's something you could just kind of like briefly look at. It doesn't take that long. It takes like literally five minutes just for you able to for you to be able to to look up some of these. Um, I think Dota buff straight up has like something called the meta or something like that, yep. uh, where you could just see the heroes that have um, not just their win rate right now, but their recent win rate and how that's improved. Um, and that is something that you can kind of get again. That's a certain subset of heroes that you should really be practicing if you really want to get better at Dota. Uh, like, just like people really like to meme about like hero puddles and stuff like that. Um, but what's more important is being able to identify what's strong in a mana and being able to play like two or three of those heroes and get really, really good at those heroes before expanding further. Yep. Because um, because that that time you're also ra raising the level of competition you're playing against, which really helps you get better. Nothing will get you better in Dota than playing against the best and also playing with the best. Um, yeah. Any time that I play in scrims or on a team or something like that, I feel like I learn like ten times more uh, than I would in like the same hour span. Yeah, I, I agree. I've always kind of had like a, a weird stance on Smurfs for that exact reason, because I don't know, growing up playing traditional sports, like when you go up levels, you just get completely stomped and nobody cares. It's not like you're going to call out, you know, you go to you go from high school in a sport to college in a sport and somebody destroys you. You're not going to be like, oh, you're a Smurf. Right. And then mm -hmm. like, you know, get this guy out. It's just like higher competition. And sure, obviously, if if some like LeBron James comes to your local basketball, like pickup game and like i don't know wears a, a mustache disguise or whatever <laughs> like just starts dunking on people maybe it would be uh, less cool but at the same time having the opportunity to play against people that are way better than you it's definitely just the best way to learn how to be better yeah yeah straight up um okay let's uh let's move on to the next question which is from oh my god Brave Rockton is his name. He has a nice little uh, how to say the name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir, for helping me out with that one. Um, in your item ranking video, so we made, uh, Jenkins and I made a video basically putting all the items in tiers, you know, S tier, okay. S -tier through I think D or F. And uh, we said that there's a very small number of heroes that actually need to build a blink dagger over or before Abyssal Blade. Uh, which heroes need a blink over Abyssal Blade at this point? Um, because Abyssal Blade is so overbuffed and kind of takes the place of blink in a lot of situations. So what heroes still need blink over Abyssal? Mm -hmm. um, well, that's pretty much all of your offlaners. Mm -hmm. um, any of the heroes that have like big AoE stuns, uh, Blink Dagger is going to be more important for them. Um, and then certain positioning supports. So, um, like, yeah, it's pretty much just supports and offlaners. Right. Um, there, there's not like a ton of other heroes that in the one or two position that really want that blink dagger. Um, and it's simply just because, uh, like your positioning is far more important on these heroes. 
um, that are, that's the difference between like Abyssal and, and a Blink Dagger, right? Is that like you go a little farther and you really go exactly where you want on the terrain, right? Um, not necessarily being limited by where a hero is. So if you have some sort of AOE stun, right? But like very obviously, it's better for Tidehunter to be exactly where he wants to be True. when he ravages than than jumping on top of a hero, right? Because that could be the difference between you hitting the back line uh, and not. Uh, same goes with Rubik, Wyvern, all those kind of heroes. Sure. I also think kind of an important consideration is like what the other team wants to do in fights, because I see a lot of times where people just default to buying a blink on some hero that has like a big team fight ultimate, because that's, you know, the item that allows you to cast the team fight ultimate. But a lot of times you're playing against a lineup that straight up just can only dive you, right? Like maybe they have um, a blink themselves. They've got like a queen of pain. They've got an ember spirit. They've got the heroes that essentially only go on your heroes and, Sure, having the blink might be helpful to catch them, but a lot of times you could also just like wait for them to go on you and close the gap and then cast your ultimate on them when they do that. Um, so it, it does kind of depend on who you're playing against. Like if you don't necessarily need the gap close, you can probably delay it on somebody like Centaur who has mobility built into the hero from Stampede. Um, but if if it's super essential that you have to catch somebody or like nobody else can initiate, then the blink is still pretty important on somebody like that. Yeah, I see a lot of people suggesting heroes. Like, obviously, if there's a hero that isn't, that is a two or one <laughs> position, you think Blink is better on that hero, then obviously I'm not talking about that hero. Just seemed like a generic, like, why this this item over that item? And yeah. the best ex explanation, right, is going to be the fact that the Blink Dagger gives you better positioning and better range. So therefore, it's usually more important on utility heroes, True. which are usually going to be three and four position. Obviously, there are some one in, ones and twos that want Blink Dagger, but... Uh, I think there is something to be said for Abyssal Blade being picked up more often on these other heroes. Yep. Yeah, especially on somebody like Ursa, who just like has to have the lockdown and stats. Blink Dagger's mm -hmm. almost never enough in that case. Um, all right. Now we actually do have a question from Average Peen. Thank God. I was, I was a little bit disappointed last time. Uh, he says, <laughs> How to have more impact on Earthshaker in the first 18 to 20 minutes of a game around when I get my Blink as position 4? Sometimes if I go to the other lanes, my offlaner complains, I leave him solo, or the other lane says they don't need help. Uh, okay, so this is another one of those, like, it's very specific on what the game, um, like, who you're matched up against, and et cetera, et cetera. But I would say the, um, the easiest bit of advice for bigger impact on Earthshaker, because I'm a big Earthshaker player. I, I, uh, I think that's my most played hero. Um, and it's one of my favorite four, four positions. Um, you, I think, don't worry so much. If you're sitting there and your lane's going well or whatever, um, one of the biggest mistakes I see is a four position being like, okay, this lane went well enough. I'm going to leave now and go right. fuck off and do my own thing. I, I hate that. If you're winning the lane, why don't you want to keep winning? Who, right. who, who decides at what point in time, like, well, oh, that's enough winning for me, guys. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No, if you're winning, keep winning. Uh, so if you're a four position, especially an Earthshaker, uh, because it's so day and night, like your timings, um, if you're sitting in the lane and you're worrying about, ah, oh, what about my Blink Decker? Don't worry about it. Once you win your offlaner's uh, lane, once you have, like, taken the enemy safe lane tower and the laning phase completely dissolved, at that point in time, and it's usually anywhere between, like, it depends on the game, but it's anywhere between 8 to 13 points, right? Uh, 13 minutes. 8 to 13 minutes. At some point in time, just tell your team flat out, like, hey, guys, 
uh, I need to get my blink dagger. You could be like level five and it's 12 minutes in. Like that, that doesn't matter. What matters is like you get that amount of time. You get a, like a solid five to eight minutes of just being able to sit in like a safe lane position, hit creeps over and over again. Like you just need your team to give you a lane. That's yeah. what you need. Um, and just communicate that fact. You know, you can be very like fours, again, fours and fives, you can be very selfless in the first 10 minutes of the game. Don't yep. feel like you need to soak experience or do those sorts of things. Once you win a core's position, once you elevate him into a position that he's strong enough to have really big impacts on team fights, like I did this today. I was a Nyx assassin. Dude, some rank 500 was flaming me because I gave him a free lane and gave him like level eight on Sand King when the enemy carry was level six, right? But I was a level two Nyx assassin. But it didn't matter because my Sand King's impact when he has maxed out Burrow Strike and Epicenter with a Blink Dagger is massive. And that means he can go around doing those things. Meanwhile, I can go and hit a creep wave. I was an Ix assassin, so I didn't really need to do that. I, I just needed to pick up a tome of experience and a little bit of solo experience and be able to get level six. But like, you can gimp yourself in the laning phase if it means elevating your course position, and they in turn will make space for you. Yep. And I would say that that even applies to like low MMR games because I mean, we uh, so I also do a show of like replay reviews where I just take replays from patrons as well and, and chat and like i mean i've seen a lot of herald replays at this point and even in those games the lanes get ditched eventually and then that becomes your lane because your carry is hitting jungle creeps maybe one at a time the small knoll camp you know they're they're going brown boots into midas on anti-mage or something like that but they've left the lane and now that is your lane that is your farm you can soak it up as, as it pushes into your tower. If the other team is on the other side of the map, you can even push the lane out and pressure their tower and get multiple multiple creep waves that then goes towards catching you back up, which happens very quickly because you're underleveled and also gets you towards these key, uh, key item timings. And as a support, most of the time, you only need one or two key item timings. So it's pretty easy to get there, you know, like in the grand scheme of things. It just happens later than it does for cores a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, all right, uh, let's uh, move on. We've got a lot of questions, so I'll try and move a little bit faster because I don't want to take up too much of your time. And if you have to go, just let me know. Oh, don't don't worry about it. I uh, I'm probably a big reason it's stretching on so much. I like to talk. That's it's my specialty. That's that's what we podcast for. It's just the rambling. That's, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, this one's very simple. When is it good to pick DK offlane? This is from Tracks again um so <laughs> i have not played uh, a ton of dk offlane but i would say that dk offlane has kind of uh fit into uh a badden used to uh occupy which is basically an offlaner that can take uh towers for you take objectives and then can still operate as like a decent initiating stun and just all around like a damage soak a tank sure. of sorts um so I would say, like, there's a certain heroes that it's good against. But to be honest, you could probably just pick it up um, whenever right now. Um, because, it, like, I, from my position when it's matchmaking, like, I'm not picking up an offlaner when I know what the enemy carry is. It just never happens. Right. Um, I'm always only going to be able to see, like, two supports and maybe the opposing offlaner. Um, so if there are like squishy backline heroes that you know you can take down um, with a simple stun, if you they don't have a ton of wave clear, 
um, then DK becomes even more prevalent because if they can't kill the creep wave, then you get a lot of damage on the tower as a result. And also if they can't wave clear, they can't split push you very well, which then means your five-man mechanic with the DK becomes more powerful. Um, but in, realistically in pubs, like you could just kind of pick it up um, because it's kind of an all-around offlaner um, just because it can still initiate and stun for you. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. I, I feel like it's it's just kind of a decent hero, and most decent heroes can can just be picked and, and played around, even if it's not necessarily the best hero for the role or it's doesn't naturally fit in there. But DK kind of does, so makes sense to me. Um, all right, Louie FR says, this question is about a recent Reddit post regarding sexual harassment of a female player and also toxicity to a certain extent. Why do you think female players have worse experience on Dota 2 than male players? Do you think this behavior is limited to just Dota 2? Or is it a common theme among other games as well? If a female player wanted to go pro in Dota 2, do you think she would ever have a chance? Where would she fit? And how do you think we can improve the toxicity that is abundant in Dota 2? Okay, so uh, I will say that uh, female Dota players definitely... Like, female... Okay, it's just it, it's as simple it's as just games. being a minority. It's right? all games, it, it's, Yeah, it's all games, and it's, it's as simple as being a minority, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, the, the, the mass amount... Like, Dota players, let's say, in the West, like, say, US, it's mostly going to be uh, white males or uh, Asian males, or it's going to be Hispanic males. Those are going to be your, like, three categories. So if you're a minority outside of that, then you're going to be receiving shit. Yep. That, like it's just going to be worse for minorities across the board so let's say if if they could see you and you are black then you were probably going to get a, a worse end of the stick than your average white player totally. because at that point in time you're you're a minority so people can just make fun of you for whatever shit so yes female dota players definitely get uh like have a worse experience um I, of that i have no doubt um how uh, can can a female Dota player make it pro? Um, like there's as nothing far stopping as I know, that, there's I there's nothing there's nothing stopping that. Um, there's no <laughs> there's no like um, really what it is is there's not a uh, there is not a whole lot of a social conscious. There's not much of like a, a basically a culture for women to play video games um especially like i feel like mobas in particular um for whatever reason there's a lot less um so as a result with just lot less female players overall then it just means less likely that a female pro player is going to show up um there was like axe that was in china mm-hmm. um she was pretty good right there's, there's nothing like physically that's keeping it's just stats at that point in time right yeah when women make up like only 10 percent of the dota playing population and they don't they're not really (laughs) yeah and and, and let's say they're just not enjoying themselves like playing pubs and stuff therefore they're less likely to be like grinding pubs uh maybe they feel they're not as welcome in uh gaming culture in general then they're less likely to play on like a team and stuff like that like it all just kind of like snowballs from there so yeah also um there is there's this really interesting talk i've been looking for it again it's by this like mathematics professor at I want to say it's like Dartmouth or something one of, one of the pretty prestigious colleges where he's talking about how people become prodigies basically and a lot of what he explains is that 
much of the the process of becoming like super good at something is almost kind of random like if you are a piano player for example like you're six years old you take your first piano lesson and your instructor you know maybe comes over just kind of at random and just says hey you're doing a really nice job you might have this like dopamine rush this extra little bit of motivation to go a little bit more in terms of your practice to try a little bit harder and then all of a sudden you know, two weeks later, you're just way better than the rest of the class, which then validates you again to try even harder because you're like, whoa, I'm actually good at this. This is very fun. Um, and I would imagine that applying that kind of process to female gamers in general, it's probably almost entirely negative every single time they pick up a multiplayer game. Just from yeah. from my experience of any time, you know, any time a girl uses voice comms, without fail it's always like "Ooh, gamer girl what's your number and it's just like if that happened to me you know in in some other term of of, or some other form of of activity where i was just instantly being called out for like who i am as a person the second that i try to interact with like the activity at a normal level i would 100 percent just be like this isn't for me you know i don't yeah i think that uh I think that prodigy comment is is really interesting because if uh, like basically like most of the professional gamers that I know they're uh, they're all the same kind of person which was they played when they were you know nine ten eleven twelve uh, maybe they played in lands like in Sweden that's very common playing in lands maybe if you're in America then you were playing uh, like land Xbox you were playing like Hell split yeah. screen stuff and like you were the best among your friends right right and then, and then that becomes like every single one of those little communities where you were the best among your friends end up going up against a bunch of other people and playing with a bunch of other people who are the best among their friends uh, and they were just you know like they they were good at video games and they they got that itch for you know competition sometimes you know that competition was something like they used to be uh, playing sports in high school and stuff and then outside of that you know then they got into gaming and they got competitive in that but they're all the kind of the same person who did get like you're saying that dopamine hit of being like the best among a small group of people and then wanting to continue that and show other people that they were still the best and and then sometimes you get that hard slap in the face and be like oh shit I thought I was good at melee. I thought I was good at, at, at melee. I was the best among my friends where I was close to it, you know? And then, then you're just like, oh shit, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people much better than me. You're hitting real close to home right now. As far as my yeah. freshman college dorm was concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely me. Uh, all right. Moving on. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess the, the secondary question was, do you think that current behavior system helps with limiting toxicity? I would say it's fairly mediocre at that, but it, it does some job. But I don't know what your perspective is. Does low priority um, actually help? Does it solve? I think the... the it, it's really hard to tell from my perspective because um, it's like this weird teeter-totter where I need some toxic people because i need them to fill out the games right because there's not enough people in north america us he's playing dota at the you know you know a thousand rank below right it's like you just need more people so like how like i can't like i i very often complain that i feel like the behavior score and and that such doesn't do anything that i feel like um if you're somehow if you somehow go below 9k behavior score i just don't understand 
I, I, I like I'm a toxic person, but I've never been below nine k, right? I, I went, uh, I went to forty five hundred once. What the fuck? What did you do? I abandoned like five games in a month. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 If you abandon games, like uh, obviously that's gonna happen. But if yeah. you like, I don't know how you go below nine k without <laughs> abandoning. You, you yeah. must be like like constantly like feeding down mid calling people all kinds of racist words and stuff like i don't understand because i see a lot of toxic people myself included and they're all well above 9k yeah and actually the system's pretty good at i i gotta tell you as somebody who's now you know back up to the where where you're supposed to be to play the game 9k 10k behavior score mm-hmm. when you're down there at like four thousand. It is extremely difficult to raise your behavior score because you are literally getting reported every single game just for being in the game. Like legitimately, I would have, uh, I would pick support every game. I wouldn't say a single word. I would ward. I would support my team. We'd win games and I would still end up with like three or four reports. And it was just like, please help me and that's why why people change their name like the trade commends and stuff like that if anybody ever asked me uh, so i i will be i have been that person that has kept you from getting higher because if anybody <laughs> ever asks for a commend if there's oh. ever a whiff of asking for a commend <laughs> or swapping for a commend i know why i know it's because your behavior score is garbage and i know you must be a terrible person so i'm definitely not commending you even if we did have a good game together 100 percent, 100 percent. keep them where they belong <laughs> send them back to the zoo <laughs> uh all right moving forward uh we have a pretty specific question this is referring to um a replay review session from last week uh this guy's a phoenix spammer and he's basically just asking uh what should i do as a four um or just what should i do as a support when the creep wave is under tower and the lane is not going well so it doesn't feel like super Mm. safe to leave the carry or the or the off laner but he also doesn't want to just be sitting there sapping experience and and feeling useless Yes. So um, not sapping experience is a really big part of you being a good support. Um, You need to be able to recognize when you can be outside of that experience range and when you need to be there. Um, So in this situation where the creep wave is pushing onto the tower, I guess it depends. Do they have a kill combo? Um, Is there something like that? Um, or they just, is it not a kill combo, but they just do a lot of harassment? Well, if it's a lot of harassment, then you can play a support that plays more in the jungle and her, and that just like plays against the other enemy support and like draws attention away while simultaneously being outside of experience range. Um, that is really big for being outside of experience range is really important because most carries at this point in time of the game, um, if they can get to level five six seven eight it's like somewhere in there they're going to just go off and jungle or like in better in better mr better players will end up going to the other side of the map and playing into the enemy carry and taking the enemy tower Mm. um which will give you that lane so you're going to get your recovery mechanism so yes like if if you feel like they're going to go on him then yeah you probably need to play you know, behind your tower, somewhere in that jungle, like the tree area back there or something like that. Um, but if you can, if you feel like your carry is going to survive, if you feel like he's going to see us just fine, um, try and be outside of the experience range. Because the faster he gets to level five, the faster he can screw off and leave that lane. Because he doesn't want to be there. He right. doesn't. All he wants is just be, to be just strong enough 
they can go somewhere else. And for some heroes, that's faster than others. Like Terrorblade's a good example of a hero that he can go four, uh, into the jungle <laughs> super early. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I I would highly recommend watching like Dubu or Owie play. They they stream a lot and they play a lot of position five, and they're super good at kind of like this understanding of the balance of being like near their their carry when they need to be. Um, a lot of the times you'll see them kind of like be there when the pressure is coming into the tower and then they will use spells on the other heroes who happen to be in the creep wave, which will then push the wave out. And then with the wave pushed out, then they can go pull and then they're out of experience range. And like this kind of cyclical rotation of like pushing the wave out, keeping the other team off their carry for a few seconds, getting a little bit of experience through the process, but then rotating out so that their carry gets full experience while they're also getting experience and pulling the lane back to do it again and kind of just doing that over and over and over. That'll win you most lanes like up until like mid immortal probably in terms of just like this continual cycle of doing that and controlling the lane equilibrium. Yeah. Um, all right, you good for a few more still? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Uh, so this one's from Reborn537, and he says, question about Spirit Breaker position four. <laughs> I guess we've kind of already covered this one. When is a good time to leave the lane and go gank? I found myself in a dual offlane with Darkseer yesterday against Faceless Void Shadow Shaman. It was nearly impossible to trade, and I kept taking the aggro. So at level three, I left the lane to gank safely in a few times. My Darkseer had a very difficult time, died a few times, and eventually left the lane. Was I wrong to leave the lane, and how could I have been more effective? Um, was it wrong for you to leave the lane? Okay, so if the lane is hard... um. It just in a general broad like support situation and you're trying to decide do i go back to that lane or not um just ask yourself all right am i having impact in the lane first of all right like am i am i actually like so a good example i was playing this nyx assassin um sand king dual lane against coddle terrorblade um, we couldn't actually uh, really do anything against the Terrorblade because he's just such a hard hero to play into. Um, and we were double melee heroes, so we couldn't really do a whole lot. So at some point in time, um, I was like level two, and I looked at the other lanes, and I said, how likely is it that I can rotate to another lane and have impact? The mid lane was a Pango versus Void Spirit matchup. Yuck. Not really <laughs> I can do there, right? That, that's just, uh, it's a low damage low damage on both sides so i'm not really going to be able to do anything there and my safe lane was something that was matched up against it was troll uh witch doctor against axe clockwork now that's a lane we can't actually have impact right sure. because my witch doctor uh he has cask and he has maledict what he needs is more damage to follow it up into it so if he casts and maledicts and i and i hit an impale then boom we've we've actually got a good kill combo on our hands so at that point in time, um, you know, I like, I, I ran off in something. Oh, I got first blood on the coddle, but I was so close to the, my own base because I chased him so far that, uh, <laughs> that I just ran back to the fountain. I TP'd to the safe lane and I ganked. It didn't go, it didn't go well. Like we actually, my, my lane didn't do anything. Um, but the idea was there, right? right? I read where I could have impact and where I wasn't having impact. So were you right to leave the Spirit Breaker? That entirely depends on your own assessment of was I doing anything in that lane? And will you do anything in those other lanes? Right. Um, if, if you're charging into like a puck or like 
Dragon Knight or something like that, chances are it's probably not going to turn out super well. And maybe you're better off yeah. just like dragging waves or something like that. Even even stacking for the darks here to recover later on. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's 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 definitely like game specific evaluating whether rotating out is actually going to positively impact the lane because you definitely don't want to rotate out of a losing lane to another lane that's doing fine and then try lane and then lose that lane also because you're just leeching experience or doing nothing or you know taking bad trades because they feel pressured to actually make aggressive plays. So sometimes, sometimes you kind of just have to play like the AFK game a little bit and just like try to be useful, provide some vision, run around, keep an eye on the support, stop them from pulling, stack a little bit, maybe steal their outpost, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, a lot of these questions is like people are going to have these um, situations in mind or general like hero situations in mind to be like, what should I do? And very oftentimes there's not like some golden rule that I totally. can give you. but. What really helps is being able to have um, to give people questions that they can ask themselves, yeah. um, because that that is just like Dota has too many variables, right? You could never be like, "This is what you do in this situation," because every single Dota game is going to be different. That's the beauty of the game. Yep. So what's better is to ask, is to have a certain uh, set of questions that you ask yourself. And for me, my question as a support. Uh, and like, where do I go in this game is I look at the other lanes and I evaluate. Maybe your evaluation is going to be wrong. My evaluation on Nick's Witch Doctor in Troll was apparently wrong because we didn't do anything. (laughs) But I took the time to make that evaluation. I thought it was going to work. It didn't. But the important part was I went through that process. And I think in any of these sort of situations, um, you guys just need to take a take a moment to to really try and evaluate the game. And that's how you're going to learn. If you make that evaluation and you're wrong, then great. You you just picked up one situation you will remember for the next time. Um, True. You ask that question of yourself. True. Yeah. Don't be afraid to just make a decision. And if it's wrong, at the very least, you now have some some data to work with for the next time. Yeah. Um, all right, this question is from Hybrid Theory, and he says, if the enemy team last picks a cheese hero such as Meepo, Lycan, or Brood, and your draft literally does nothing to counter it, what playstyle is recommended, or is it just GG? Uh, no, it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely not just GG. Um, so if you just have a losing draft, just straight up, like you, you don't get a, a choice, you don't get to like counter pick or anything else like that. You just be like, you, you win. You picked your hero, you went and got some water, you came back, and you said, oh, we got Meepoed. Great. Um, what you do from there is you try and... Sometimes you have to get creative with it, but you basically say, how do... The best way is, how do I ruin this guy's laning phase? Mm-hmm. So say you have um, a bad, like, Broodmother matchup in the mid lane. Okay, what core can go in the mid lane, right? Like, if, if my mid invoker is not going to do anything against Broodmother then which of the two side lane heroes can do something there? Or at least right? won't feed relentlessly, right? Yeah, <laughs> at, le- at least won't feed. What, what support could possibly, like, get levels and take over that lane and something like that? Like, again, it's just, it all comes down to how does this hero uh, progress in the game? And very often with these cheese picks, it's entirely about their laning phase, right? Food mm-hmm. Mother, Meepo, Huskar, like, they're usually last pick for a reason because they need a good lane matchup. So if you can somehow dismantle that laning phase with either lots of ganks onto that hero or blocking out the jungle that they're going to be using, because again, that's another thing that all these heroes have in mind is that they all play off of a certain amount of jungle. Um, Early smokes are really good for all of these heroes. So 
and like right now the meta is two one two. Go grab your other support at level two or three. Say, let's go. Get the hell out of lane. We're going to smoke into the mid lane and kill that alchemist before he hits level six. Do stuff like that. Um, yep. you, you have to be, you have to make the lot game different because the static game, this, this like two, one, two, like basically whenever you're in a losing draft, it's, it's because a normal game, they will win. So right. you must change what is happening in this game. You must be using all three smokes in the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go play into the enemy jungle. You must buy a bunch of wards and take out all of their, their camps that they want to be able to farm. You must totally. uh, have vision of Roshan. You must do all of these sort of things. Like You have to do those sort of things in order to dismantle these last pick cheese heroes that people like to, to do with and get their free MMR because they've got an MMR boner and just want to get <laughs> plus 30 points yeah totally i uh i remember very specifically some pro match where there was a last pick timber saw mid against like a kunkka i think something something mm -hmm. like that some really bad matchup and the position five undying just played mid dual lane with the kunkka and destroyed the timber saw <laughs> because the timber saw had like 300 health the whole time so. yeah timber saw is the the hero that i would say you need the most uh, you need to have a game plan right away, right? Uh, because Timbersaw is most exposed at level one, two, three. Uh, but once he gets to level five, it's like game over. Right. So try laning at the start against an offlane Timbersaw, ganking uh, a mid Timbersaw early if you can. Like if you have a kill combo, if you don't have a kill combo, there's nothing you could do about that. But right. uh, if you do have a combination that can do something like that. Uh, other heroes like Meepo, Alchemist, they're both very exposed when they leave their lane and go to jungle. So it's going to take a lot of smokes to go gank them. Um, Huskar is Huskar and Timbersaw are both strongman heroes in that they 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 got the they they feel like they're so big and strong. But if you five, so they'll overextend naturally. They'll they'll play by themselves and run down a lane uh, because they think they're they're unkillable. If you just five man that hero and kill him once or twice, his timing is gone. Um, it's different with every hero, and it's going to be different based off of your uh, what heroes you're playing. Um, but it, again, it just becomes about about the evaluation of what is this hero weak, what does this hero want to do, and just countering that. Yep, totally. All right, I have a specific question for you, Cap, which mm -hmm. is um, from Prime Operator, who's been part of our community for a long time, and he says, "How has the pandemic affected your job as a commentator?" And how do you see the near future regarding Dota lands and just events in general for, for pros? Um, so I can be totally, totally honest with you. It's going to sound a little shitty, but uh, the, the pandemic actually benefited me in a slight way. Uh, at first, it was terrible because uh, ESL, like, if, if I'm just speaking just generally specifically about my job and its impact, uh, it was bad because ESL 1 LA got canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, then it was good because ESL One LA B went online and they gave it to BTS and I was able to work there, uh, and that was 23 days of work that I right. got. And there, it's good. Uh, in the future, who the hell knows? Um, if nothing ever comes to California again, then it's going to be terrible for me, and uh, I'm going to be streaming a lot more. <laughs> um, Plug that but, stream. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, it's just. Some people like like uh, we talked about it. Some commentators, it's going to be great for some. Some it's going to be terrible for. Um, so it's like I've I've thought about that a lot. Like I think Trent is unfortunately in a bad position because 
you know, like he's not anywhere he can go. He's not one of the Europeans who can go to Kiev and he can't really leave his family. So he's just sure. going to be uh, doing whatever online casting he can. Um, Luckily, there's quite a bit of, but I would imagine, like, obviously there's a lot more competition for it too with people like yourself being hired for the, the online stuff as opposed to just doing straight lands like kind of in the past. Yeah. The biggest danger is going to be like, um, is letting our rates, our day rates degrade due to, um, oh, yeah, totally online work and like just what's available. Um, so for example, like I'm not working into WePlay right now because, uh, I stuck to a rate and, uh, I don't think they wanted to hire me at all for that rate. So I don't think I'm casting any of their games and that's okay with me. Um, sure. Like, that's totally fine with me because I got to work ESL1 and other people need work. Um, I just, and these sort of things, any sort of like, uh, it's not a union, but any sort of like um, group effort when it comes to rates and salary and stuff like that uh, naturally becomes harder whenever world conditions get worse. So totally, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. I have one more question directly to you. And mm -hmm. uh, then maybe take like one more and then I'll let you go because we're at, at an sure. hour now. So um, let's see. This is actually a three-parter. <laughs> it's kind of three separate, okay. but three-part question. This is from Protogenos, uh, Proto who says, how long did your grind take? I assume he means your grind to 7K, I suppose. Um, yeah, I had I had I had a grind to six k and then another one to seven k. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other two questions are kind of unrelated, but how is your voice acting going, and how do you approach that? And then number three is also what is a typical schedule for you at the moment? Um, so my grind probably took. It, it's a little hard to see because it's so blurry. Um. Because I'm just always playing Dota. So at what point did I like get serious about it and was like, I should, I really want to improve my number uh, mm -hmm. because my number, I basically saw it as a branding opportunity, right? Like I, I recognized that one of the things that made me unique at Join Dota was the fact that I was, I actually understood what I was talking about. But the problem is with with um, with Dota is the game is not black and white. Sure. So anything that you say as a commentator. Um, the audience can take whatever they want, right? I can say Spectre is the best late game hero in, in Dota, all right? And that's something that's relatively black and white. And, um, and then somebody else, like the viewer, can be like, yeah, but this guy hasn't seen a Medusa with two divine rapiers. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, like that's, that's the way he can look at the game, right? Right. Um, it's because these things aren't very simple. They're not, they're not black and white. Um, there's a lot of grays mixed in. So, you need the audience to give you a certain amount of credibility. And so because of that, um, one of my biggest problems was getting the, uh, the audience to recognize, to give me that credibility. Um, and so the easiest way to do that outside of actually playing professionally was to get higher MMR. So at some point in time, I was, I was 5.5K and I was just kind of in that area. And I decided it would be good branding for me to get to 6K. Because that would separate me from every other commentator at the time um, that was even like close to being, whether it was like an analyst, uh, like a half, like a non-professional analyst or just straight up play-by-play, -play, it would be like a significant difference. So I grinded up to 6K when most people were like at 
3K or 4K. Um, and then it probably took me, um, it probably took me like a solid three to six months. Um, I was working at the time, so I can't really say like exactly how long it took, but it took me about three to six months to get there. And then I think it took me another two or three years before I got 7k. Um, Did you stream like most of years. that like grind initially or yeah, I've streamed, uh, almost every Dota game I've ever played, <laughs> which is not a great nice. idea. Uh, but I would say like 90% of the games I've played in Dota two anyway. Dude, you're uh, like, you're like Goku with the weights so. on. You just got to turn off the stream and you'll go to 8K real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure my, my peak is, uh, if I had to guess, like me and my absolute best is I'm probably no better than like a 7.5K player. Um, and I, I, I definitely have like a skill ceiling that I can't really go past, so. Sure. Uh, it, is, it is what it is. Uh, the voice acting is going, uh, not going at all. <laughs> I um I will be getting back into voice acting, but I haven't actually gotten any gigs for it. Um, I had somebody reach out to do some stuff for a video game, um, but cool. I don't know if that's actually going to go through or not. We'll see. Uh, and what does my day look like right now? Uh, well, I'm trying to get more of a schedule, but it's uh, right now it's like waking up, doing yoga in the morning, um, nice. and then I'm gonna try and start doing uh voice acting again since. Uh, I just got some stuff, and um, it looks like my schedule is going to be open for the foreseeable future. So uh, that's it's usually when I start doing most of my voice acting. It's just to keep busy. So I, I would suggest like anybody who is uh, feeling a little stir crazy in this uh, pandemic times where you're quarantined and stuff like that. Uh, if you are one of those people who is fortunate enough to work from home or whatever, it's just to get a schedule. So I do yoga totally. in the morning. I play some other games, uh, and then I'm going to be Dota grinding in the evening. And that's just kind of like the loose setup that I've got. Nice. Yeah. I, I also highly recommend a schedule. Every time that I fall off of a schedule, I find that my productivity goes to shit. And so does my MMR. <laughs> so does like basically every other aspect of 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 daily life so yeah. I, I definitely agree with that sentiment a lot um all right final question for you this is going to be kind of a fun one for for everybody i think which is how often do the talent play dota together and who are the best players and then also who is surprisingly good that you wouldn't expect to be good at the game um okay so the easiest answer to surprisingly good is owen is both terrible and good at dota <laughs> as in like he is he's good at clicking his buttons mm -hmm. um like he got up to 5k um right. in fact he got up to 5k spamming faces void off of a bet with uh with blitz but, i remember that <laughs> um so owen owen is um surprisingly good uh, but Owen's just good at good at games and he's good at clicking buttons uh he's also terrible when it comes to his judgment uh which is it's just funny um like sure. he's the like carry that farms really just, well all game and then throws <laughs> yeah a little bit he also yeah. just like uh he'll get into this like can we fight can we fight can we fight he just always wants to fight sometimes mm -hmm. um so uh it's it's a lot of fun playing with Owen. i i enjoy it quite a lot um who is the best um i mean i think it's it's pretty obvious that it's any of the players that who are still if they have any sort of hopes of a competitive career sure um so like bsha isn't playing competitively right now but i bet he could 
uh, it's just about being on a good enough team, I think, for him. Mm. Like, like I think BSJ doesn't want to play for a Tier 3, Tier 2 NA team for the rest of his career, you know? Yeah, fair um, enough. I, I think if he want, if he's going to be a player, he wants to to actually be able to have a shot at being Tier 1. Cinderin's still grinding it out, so obviously he's one of the best out there. Um, Blitz is very, very good. Um, I think a lot of people underrate Blitz, uh, but he's much better uh the dota then people seem to give him credit for like he's the coach of professional teams. Right, i was gonna say it's it's not just like random or connections or anything like that that has allowed him to coach several like very high tier teams like he's respected yeah, he's, and seen by the players as well yeah he, he was also you know like he's good at clicking his buttons as well like true he's, he's a gifted gamer as well so uh his MMR is terrible usually because he's got a uh, just terrible pub attitude. But uh, he's, I would say he's better than me for sure. Um, who else? Who else is like really good? Um, Fog's pretty like, good, I'm, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fog's yeah. great. Um, Fog's like, Fog's pretty much always uh, in the 7K plus area. Yeah. Um, sometimes he dips below that, but uh, like he's a, he's a really good four position. He's better than I am as well. Um, yeah, like uh, honestly, when it comes to like who's the best, um, who's the the best of the talent, like it's it's obvious. It's just going to be the people who are playing, right? Sure, actively, right? Like uh, I'm I'm pretty good at the game. Like relatively speaking, I'm great at the game compared to the general public. But compare me to like someone like BSJ, and like there's no doubt. Like if I was if I'm in the same game as BSJ, I give him the off lane. Um, and I will play four position, or I'll play five. Sure, because he's better, and he's he's trying to to actually play competitively um, sometimes, and you know his his MMR shows it. So MMR is a very good uh very good judgment of how good you are at the Dota game, believe yeah. it or not. People may not want uh, to believe that. Unfortunately, guys. It <laughs> <laughs> yep, definitely. That's uh, we keep coming back to that over and over again. It's like. At this moment, there is no better way to measure your skill, at least at winning pubs, which is generally a pretty good measure of your ability to figure out Dota because critical thinking and just general like problem solving is like the number one skill of most players in addition to clicking buttons well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like like Draskal's uh, been like 6K before, I know that. Yeah. Uh, Merlini is usually... Like when he was playing active, like when he was still being a talent, uh, he was usually 6K. Um, nowadays, he's maybe sometimes below 6K, um, but like he was always pretty good at the game, and he and he was always able to keep up with the game because he played at a decent enough level. Sure. So cool. Well, thank you so much for all the answers and and joining us and giving us an hour of your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, do you have? Anything that you wanna you wanna plug? Are you gonna stream after this? You um, um have a podcast I might, coming yeah. up? Yeah, I might play some Dota. Um, so yeah, uh, side pull podcast. If you guys want to check out our podcast, that is not about Dota at all, uh, but it is really funny. And we have some we have some really big name guests on. Um, we've had our TZ, Sir Action Slacks, um, Blitz, Yori. Um, we're going to have another really big name coming up soon. Um, if you want to check that out and just like learn what people are a little bit more like personality wise, less than Dota. Um, that's good. Good podcast. I feel I'm pretty proud of it. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to stream. 
Uh, Twitch.tv slash Dota Capitalist is where I am pretty much always streaming uh, when I'm playing Dota. So if you want to watch that, I'm currently ranked 639 in North America. That's like 6.7K or something like that. I will probably try and make another run at 7K again just so... I don't know. <laughs> just so I have just something. Just for the ego, something. man. It just, you, you, it's all yeah, good. I need some, <laughs> well, you need some goals in the quarantine, you know? Exactly. you got to get something going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Well, yeah. take care. Thanks again so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right, y'all. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Um, I have a few more questions that I want to get to. I wanted to let Cap go because we'd had him on for an hour. I didn't want to take up too much of his time. So I'm going to go through the last few questions because um, we had a few come in during, during, the, uh, during the stream. And I don't want anybody to be left out. You guys are, are wonderful patrons. So where we left off was um, talking about Spirit Breaker position four, which we kind of talked about how to gank other lanes. And the next question was from Louie, who was asking about any tips on ganking different lanes in general. And I, I really like Cap's answer to it, which was basically just to like evaluate whether you can actually have input in that lane or not. And if the answer is yes, I, I would say you kind of want to evaluate it from like a almost a standpoint of like how likely is this to work? Um, you know, because if it's if it's like eighty percent to work, it's probably a pretty good play. If it's like fifty percent to work, maybe it's not necessarily that worthwhile to go there. And so I think that's like step number one. And then Louis also asks uh, that oftentimes I show myself too early and they just run away. Do I need to be more patient? And how much time is too much time to waste before I should do something else? So as far as the wasting time thing, I, I feel like if you're going to a gank, it should essentially take only the amount of time that it takes to like get there and get into position. And then, you know, a few seconds of waiting for the person to maybe extend a little bit too far and then you go on them. Um, but very rarely do you want to just be like sitting there off map waiting and waiting and waiting for like 10, 15, 30. 30 seconds that's never going to work out very well for your other lanes and most of the time it's not going to work out well for you because you're not getting any experience you're not helping your team get experience or gold and so it's usually just like a losing proposition to continue to try as far as showing yourself too early smokes is like the number one thing just use smokes because um and, and think about your angle of approach you don't want to just like run straight at somebody through the river uh, if you have to go down on the low ground before you go up on the high ground, that's never going to be very uh, successful. Even if you're ganking with heroes that are good at ganking, a lot of the time people will just escape because they see you before you see them, and that's obviously a pretty huge problem. Um, okay, Hybrid Theory asked if the enemy team last picks... Oh, no, we already covered that one. Whoops. Uh, TBO says, I feel like Spirit Vessel is being overrated in pubs these days, 4K Ancient, to the point where Position 5 Lich just rushed Spirit Vessel in one of my recent games instead of any standard items like Force Staff or Glimmer. You put it in S tier, but you think it needs to be bought in every game. Um, I would say that it should probably be bought in every game that the other team has of Vlad's. Probably. 
Um, and, and just like the prevalence of healing regeneration heroes is so high right now that most games you're probably going to be pretty well off with a spirit vessel. I don't think that you have to necessarily rush it every game, but if there is somebody that's building, you know, these regen items, like even stuff like pipe, um, obviously mech and greaves get pretty gimped by the spirit vessel as well. Um, there's, there's a lot of benefit to having it. I, I just don't think that, you know, there's, there's a pretty clear difference between, we're playing against Huskar, Timbersaw, Alchemist, or the other team is probably going to have like a Mac and Greaves and, and Vlad's at 40 minutes. Those are sort of like the two different scenarios. Um, I chugged coolant yesterday. Oops. <laughs> I chugged coolant is the name. What are your thoughts on position three Jakiro? My friend and I will sometimes play three, four Jakiro Ogre Lane. 90% of the time we dominate the lane and stifle the enemy carry early. Is Jakiro actually a decent offlaner? I'm 3.5k MMR and was wondering about your thoughts spamming this hero to gain MMR. Um, so Jakiro, I think, is a good hero in general. And that will kind of potentially create a little bit of bias in terms of like your interpretation of whether you're winning or losing. So keep that in mind. Um, does he make a good offlaner? Well, he is not really the greatest tank. It's not the worst tank, but he's not really like a super good kind of like run in, have people go on you. You're kind of you're you're more well off when you're playing the edges of the fight and able to hit long range ice paths and line up your spells correctly versus somebody like, you know, a tide hunter or a centaur who can kind of prefers if people are near him to get the most out of their spells. Uh, so that I would say that not necessarily is it a prototypical or good offlaner, but in the sense of being able to pressure the carry and take their tower early to then rotate elsewhere, it does kind of fit. You know, I hear like Abaddon is good for that reason. Beastmaster is good for that reason. Underlord can be good for that reason. But those heroes also tend to be good at like the other jobs that offlaners do, whereas Jakiro is not necessarily quite there. I'd be curious what items you're going on the hero. And honestly, I feel like maybe you just swap that lane where you play four, Ogre plays three, and then Ogre actually takes better advantage of the farm than Jakiro does, because Jakiro is going to kind of do the same thing regardless of what items you have, whereas Ogre can actually, you know, get multicast hexes and, and play like the tank or a carrier to some extent. Uh, but, you know, if it's working for you, why stop, right? Until it stops working, you might as well just enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Uh, Protogenos Proto says, if auras are typically position three items, what are some position four items? Would What would you say are some position four items? I find myself building a, buying a litany of different items from Halberd to Piper Greaves. Um, and that's a pretty good approach, honestly. Position fours tend to kind of be like the the like the the patcher of the holes on your team a lot of the time. Um, sometimes the fours tend to be more like core oriented and they have like a specific skill build. You know, you've got your Rubik with um, Aether Lens, Blink, Ags, that kind of stuff because they're trying to be like a carry spellcaster almost to some extent. It sort of depends on what your role is, but I, I do agree that four often will be the hero that kind of just builds the items that need to be built in the game because you're going to get more farm than the five, but the offlaner probably has specific items that they have to go. Um, so 
utility. Most fours tend to be utility based anyway, so you just get more utility. You know, Solar Crest, Force, Glimmer, Halberd seems decent. You know, Pipe if you have to, if nobody else can build it. Greaves, if you have to, because nobody else can build it, are all totally acceptable. Vlad's obviously can be a pretty good one. And then, of course, Spirit Vessel, which we just talked about a little while ago. Uh, Sofa King says, make Dota fun again at least one day a month. Do you guys remember about two years ago when one night matchmaking MMR was unavailable? The coordinator was still working, so matches were happening, but there was no way to create MMR balanced teams. Or when Liz, that was crazy, but actually fun. I wish there was a way to recreate this. Maybe one day a month you could have free-for-all Friday where there was no downside to play. You could only win 10 MMR per match, up to three matches, 30 MMR, but lose nothing. Intentionally have widespread MMR under checks. That would be a pretty interesting concept to try out. I'm I'm sure that it wouldn't be very fun <laughs> for a lot of people. But if people are opting in and knowing that they're going to be playing these wild games, it might be kind of fun. Who knows? Uh, I think it would be a huge cluster, but it might be it might be fun to at least experiment with at some point. Snowy says, I've been playing some support Death Prophet recently to see if it's good. Few questions. What should I prioritize, mobility or survivability? I assume Spirit Vessel or Holy Locket would synergize well with Spirit Siphon, but now I'm not sure based on rereading the skill and items. Regardless, should I take it somewhat of a healing role, such as Mech or Vessel anyway? Also, what are non-traditional fours increasingly? Why are non-traditional fours increasingly anything lately more than any other time? Um... So I think a lot of non-traditional fours, I mean, I assume you're talking about stuff like Ember Spirit, um, Queen of Pain, Death Prophets, Void Spirit, these kind of heroes that were, you know, prototypically mid laners becoming fours. A lot of that has to do with just the fact that people are realizing that many of the mid lane heroes function well as fours because fours kind of function as like a, almost like a mini mid. They're like the tempo setters. They tend to be kind of the, the engine that makes a Dota game progress, at least in the early stages of the game. And a lot of these heroes are super good at that. Most of them do quite a bit of damage without having necessarily farm requirements to do so. And so a hero like a Queen of Pain or an Ember Spirit will just kind of like, as long as they can exist in team fights, they will often do most of the damage, at least in the early stages of the game. So... I think a lot of it just kind of has to come with like experimentation and, and like learning and also just the fact that there are a lot of um, there's, there's just like a better understanding of what the four role is supposed to do right now than ever before. Um, as far as the items on death profits, I think it's kind of game specific. Like if you need to play frontliner cause your off lane is some, counter initiating hero or a carry like somebody picked void or something like that or if it's a wind ranger god forbid then just going for tanky stuff is usually pretty good the thing about death prophet is you're kind of one of those heroes that like an ember or queen of pain just wants to exist in fights as long as possible you're not really um, sometimes Blink actually can be really good because your silence is very strong, but a lot of the time you just kind of want to like be there, get off several rounds of spells, have your exorcism flying around, that kind of stuff. You're not really trying to be a damage dealer, but you're definitely trying to be a nuisance who does damage, slows people, silences people, and just is another problem for them to deal with in the fights. So I definitely like the idea of going tanky stuff. I don't think you need to go like 
necessarily greaves and holy locket but you know a couple bracers into a yules is probably pretty good or a, a hood or pipe into yules probably pretty good lotus orb i'm sure is decent on the hero at some point um and then maybe some mobility utility stuff like a uh, a force staff or glimmer could also probably be pretty decent um okay moving on to the last few questions we have sparky 23 asking so i was wondering if win rate trends matter in comparison to the actual meta i've been doing really well with gyro the past few weeks but for some reason seeing the trends on dota buff especially the win rate made me feel like i'm playing a hero poor, poorly all of a sudden now i'm hesitant to play the hero which i felt was really strong when i played it because of the horrendous win rate so here's the thing don't look at dota buffs win rates you want to look at dota 2 pro trackers win rates because these only look at players that are like above 7.5k mmr actually it says six six thousand plus mmr but most of them are above 7.5 and um even there you'll see that a hero like gyro might have a lower win rate than normal but you also have to look at how often it's being picked so if a hero is being picked like third or fourth highest it has kind of an average win rate excuse me um then it's still probably a pretty good hero right because if a hero is being picked 400 times and it has like a 70% win rate 400 games it's it's an okay sample size a better example might be if a hero is being picked like 100 times in the last week and it has like a 30% win rate is it actually bad it's kind of hard to say because that's not very many games whereas if a hero is being picked like 1800 games like if i'm looking at dota 2 pro tracker right now ember spirit has been picked almost 1900 games and has a 53% win rate which means that it's almost in every single game and it also still has a higher than average win rate which means that the hero is really good so i would say that's more reliable than looking at dota buff which a lot of time is going to include people who are trying to copy pros you know if miracle if sumail plays gyrocopter sure enough you're going to see a rise in gyrocopter in terms of the pubs but a lot of people are picking heroes because pros are picking them are not necessarily good at the heroes that they're picking and so you'll see a pretty severe dip in the win rates when a hero does become popular because it gets picked more and it gets picked by people who don't know how to play it very well all right, next question is, uh, let's see, where are we? Losing it, losing it, guys. Here we go. A bug says, is this an offlane meta? meta? I feel like many games would depend on how well the offlaner does. Maybe since Enigma leaves MC on his own is why they can't win <laughs> but in all seriousness i got trialing the other day and even when i tried pulling their tier two i still got run down by both supports and died over and over until we got snowballed on and lost i don't know if it's necessarily an offlay meta but it's definitely position fours have a huge amount of impact right now and um laning stage in general has a huge amount of impact on the outcome of the game so if you're feeding <laughs> then certainly you will not have a good time if you are dominating a lane, you're probably going to have a pretty good time. And I do think that, like, 
if you're being tri-laned, a lot of the times it's it's enough to just kind of occupy the two supports because you know what that means? There's no supports ganking your other lanes, which means your other lanes probably should win. As long as you're not just straight up feeding the supports levels, uh, you're probably going to do a pretty good job doing your job as an offlaner, which is to take up the enemy's attention, allowing for your mid and carry to come online and carry you. Uh, next question is from Pewaki Poncho, who says, do you think it's worth it to ban a hero just to keep it off your team? <laughs> so I've, I have two different perspectives on this one. In one sense, yes. I definitely have gone through these phases where I'll ban like Pudge or, or Techies or some super popular hero that everybody's playing that they're really bad at because they're playing it because it's like flavor of the month. I will definitely ban that hero sometimes. But at the same time, I think it's kind of a bad mentality to do that because you are kind of just assuming that if the hero's on your team, it's going to lose you the game. And I think that if you're going into a game ready to be tilted, if a hero is picked on your team, you're probably not in a great mindset to win the game regardless. So I... I definitely think that, that there's like different sides of the coin. Um, if there are certain heroes that you just really don't like playing with, I mean, sure, ban it. Um, but yeah, Felipe actually brings up an interesting point, which is that if there's a hero that you really um, don't want on your team, like Putch, for example, because the hero is so bad, um, there are five slots in the other team that could pick it and only four slots on yours since you're obviously not going to. So keep that in mind. What's up, Floppy Loppy? Welcome to the stream. Uh, all right, and our final question. Oh, hold up. All right, we have two more. The first one from Sparky23. Is there a general framework for how to play position one, like a timetable of sorts, like when to tell your support to move, when to move the jungle? No. Straight up, no. There's, there's, Flow charts are something that will never really be that relevant to Dota just because every game is so situational and even those situations can change based on how people play and how people interpret the game. However, I will say that, you know, when it's nighttime, when the lane is up, you probably want to play safer. Um, when to move. I mean, Cap and I were kind of talking about it in earlier questions where if you can hit your level six, your power spike on somebody like a gyrocopter, um, and move to the enemy team's safe lane and pressure their carry with that power spike, that can be a very, very game-winning moment to take advantage of. So do keep in mind that just because you're a carry doesn't mean that you're limited to just playing your safe lane for five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes. A lot of times there's more that can be done, and um, it's more about like the feel. You know, If the lane's starting to feel dangerous, probably time to go to the jungle or gank their carry. If uh, you have a power spike coming up, whether it's from levels, cooldowns, or an item, probably start time to think about, uh, probably it's time to start thinking about playing aggressively and making something happen, snowballing your advantage from there. Um, as far as like the, the push-pull nature of the lanes, um, I, I think that you really need to have it in mind why you're doing the push pull. You're 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 pushing the lane to be able to pull it so that you get an experience advantage. And then once you have that advantage, then you try to do something with that. 
and it should be to rotate or kill the person in your lane and take their tower. Um, okay, Alduin is our final question for this episode. How to find balance between improving at the game, playing solo queue, which I don't particularly enjoy, and playing on Smurf, unranked, actually enjoying Dota with friends. I want to improve and love Dota, but solo queue is absolutely miserable, but feels difficult to improve, perhaps even get worse by playing unranked or on Smurf. Well, I would say that it kind of depends on your priorities, man. Like, I don't necessarily think that you can only get better playing solo queue games. In fact, I think you probably actually get worse at the game in terms of, like, your overall habits of playing Dota. You probably get better at winning solo queue games if you grind them, but you probably get worse at the actual game of Dota. This is what we see over and over and over with pro players, or not pro players, but pub stars trying to make the transition to being pro players, is there's usually a pretty big learning curve to actually working with a team who has a game plan, who shot calls, who communicates on a regular basis and has an idea going into the game how they want things to work. Um, so I, I feel like another thing that you have to keep in mind is that most people play Dota their best when they're having fun. And uh, so if you're not having fun, I would probably just not play those games. Um, I understand that the competition might not be as high. And so maybe you aren't being challenged necessarily in terms of like being punished for mistakes or having to out mechanic the people that you're playing against necessarily. But I also think that you can still improve a lot without just grinding solo queue for sure. So I, I would definitely recommend, you know, just if you play a game of solo queue and you don't have fun, just don't play another one. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I've been doing recently. If I look at my games recently, I'm playing like one or two a day because I'll play a game and I'll be like, that sucked. <laughs> I'll go do something else instead of forcing myself to play a ton of solo queue because I'm like chasing MMR, chasing some idea of like, this is going to make me a better player. Most of the time, if you're not having fun, you're probably not going to be learning anything from the game. So it's probably better just to take a break. Uh, okay. Final, final question from Trepa Wansi. Hi, I'm new. Is it okay to review each replay? I find myself reviewing the first 10 minutes of each of my losses. How often do you review replays? Dude, if you keep doing that, you and you're actually applying yourself and you're actually digesting the information, you are going to improve so quickly. I love this concept. It's something that I've always wanted to just like implement in my own games. But again, it kind of comes back to the idea of like, if you're not having fun, then it's kind of hard to learn. So as long as you're enjoying the process of learning, I would say review as many replays as you can. Just soak up the information, soak up the mistakes, learn as much as you can from your own um, judgments of the game and figure out whether they are right or wrong and then implement that in your play for the next time. You will grow a lot by watching your own replays, especially the ones where you lose because most of the time you played a role in that loss happening, whether you like to think about it or not. Um, and just honestly, there's kind of like a, a secondary thing about revisiting losses, revisiting these like negative experiences where they kind of stop affecting you as much because 
you have just like immersed yourself in that and it stops becoming as big of a deal. Like, okay, I lost this game. I look at it. Oh, okay. I lost the game. You know, it, it starts becoming less and less of a big deal to lose games because you know, that's just like a tool for you to get better. Um, so great question. I, I definitely like that question. And it's a one, great one to end on. That is it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Alchemy Answers episode 78. Again, huge shout out to Cap. Thank thank him. Uh, chat. Give him give him the old dabs in chat. <laughs> thank him. Thank you, uh, Cap, for tuning in. It was great having him on. Really good insight into many areas, Dota-related and also in the scene. And um, thank you as always to our patrons who support Dota Alchemy and continue to support me as we move forward into the new era of Dota Alchemy. Um, always a pleasure talking to you guys. I'll be streaming, not tonight, but probably tomorrow over on my Twitch channel and doing some more replay reviews and stuff there as well. So good night, good day, whatever. Be safe and uh, enjoy your games. Have some fun. See you guys later. <laughs>